0: I mean, look, any of your listeners who are over the age of 40, like the most successful founders in the world are between 40 and 55, like by a long way, because you know what it is you're doing.
1: Welcome to SaaS Origin Stories. Tune in to hear authentic conversations with founders as they share stories from the earlier days of their SaaS startups. We'll cover painful challenges, early wins, and actionable takeaways you'll hear firsthand the do's and don'ts of building and growing a SaaS, as well as inspirational stories to fuel you on your own SaaS journey. Here is your host, Phil Alves.
2: Welcome everybody. Today I have Matthew Bernadette from Bonjoro on the show. Welcome to the show, Matthew. Hey Phil, thanks for having me along. So Matthew, could you please tell us a little bit about your company and what problem do you guys solve? Yep. So I run a company called
0: Bonjuro. Um, so we started off as a video messaging uh, platform. So essentially we give you a way to send one-to-one video messages to leads clients as they come into your funnel to better connect with customers in an online world that has started to lose that human connection um, in onboarding and
2: welcoming new, new users. Got it. That's awesome. And I want to dive deeper on the product story and, and what it does. But before that, I was looking uh, on your LinkedIn and stuff and I saw that everyone call you Papa Bear. What is that about? <laughs> yeah, so I
0: mean so if you look at Bonjour, you'll notice our, our logo is a bear. And look, we're a massive fan of brand. I think I think brand is it's probably one area I'll talk about later. That I think a lot of startups don't invest enough in um we have a lot of fun we we run a business because it makes us laugh not just because we like growing a business and so the bear thing has kind of got out of control (laughs) i think yeah everyone who joins the company gets a bear suit we send bear suits to to to, to customers when they hit certain milestones i think most people have titles referencing a bear we sponsor a few bears and uh i think in um in Ukraine and in Australia so anything bear related we are up for it
2: that's awesome so, so you guys kind of like own the bear in the market space so it's talking about a bear it's like talking about you guys
0: <laughs> yeah I mean like think chimp. they had the monkey we took the bear that's
2: it <laughs> that's awesome and, and I even saw your team members like taking pictures with like wearing bear suits and stuff yeah, yeah,
0: like like I so, said, everyone when they join the company gets to design their own bear suit. So most people love it.
2: It's pretty hot in Australia. Wearing
0: a bear suit in Australia, it's uh, it's probably not the best choice of attire. I'll be honest, especially when it hits, you know, 110 degrees Fahrenheit. It's kind of <laughs> killer. Um, yeah, we should have we should have chose something else, but anyway, here we are.
2: That's awesome. Yeah. So let's definitely dive deeper later on the show about culture and and brand. I think that's it's pretty cool what you guys are doing there. Uh, tell me a little bit about like the story behind Bonjoro, kind of like how, how everything got started.
0: So a little bit different to a lot of startups, we um, actually launched Bonjoro out of another company that we had where we had a small agency. And that agency dealt with large enterprise clients and large FMCG clients. So very much a sales led process. Now we were actually based in Australia, but all of our clients were US, UK, and France, because, because that's where those, those, um, those industries were. So we never really met clients face to face as the first interaction and we had leads coming in, but we were trying to convert them on email when so much of, of how we sold was, was us and our enthusiasm and our, and our creativity. So, we experimented with different ways to contact people and we started recording videos for every single lead that we had that, that would come in. Um, I used to take a boat to work, so I would do them on a ferry going past the Opera House in Sydney, which is quite iconic. And I would just get on the video and say, hey, hey, James, I saw you sign up for Heineken. We've worked with Budweiser. We've worked with, with, with Kurs. Um, this is what we've done. You know, I'm not based in the States, but I'll be over there in six weeks time. We'd love to come in and talk to you. And so the first piece of comms they would ever get would be this video. And we would record these on a the phone, download them, upload them to a server, put them into an email. It's very manual. Um, but that's the first piece of comms they ever got. And we tripled our conversion rates overnight. Because everyone would get this video and they would go, This is awesome. I'm glad you, t- you took the time. Absolutely come in and see us. And then we go in and you walk in. And everyone's like, You're the guy on the boat on the video. And so all it did was just basically start that conversation, which led us to, to be able to sell better. Um, a long story short, a few of those clients asked us at the end of meetings, "What's that video email thing you did? Um, can we use it?" And so we spent a weekend with a few beers and pizza, putting a MVP together, like a minimum viable product. Uh, we put those clients on. They started using it. Their customers, who they sent them to, also started signing up. We put a
2: paywall down. We got some money, and the rest is history. That's awesome. So, so like it came from like a solution that you guys. We had a problem your own agents being far from, from your yep. customers, and you were just solving your own problem, kind of like. And from there, other people like what you were doing, and then it developed it to be a, a product. And it's kind of like, do you still have the agents, or are you doing the product full time right now? How does it work? our things?
0: We do the product full time. So we ran the agency for a while, um, but then we decided to focus down on Bonjour. I, I think we took, I think. After 18 months, we kind of shifted the team full time to Bonjour, and then we ran the agency for a couple of years. Um, interestingly, if you look at if you look at Mailchimp, who's in the email space, and if you look at another company called Campaign Monitor, who's also in the email space, and, I, and I'm sure many others, I think it too, or, like all these companies started off from agencies who were solving a problem. So it, it seems to be a weird thing that in the communication space, often those products are, are you know, come out of companies trying to solve their own communications. It seems to be a bit of a thing. Yeah, and then generally the agencies, like for us, Bonjour became so much bigger that it made sense to focus all that energy there.
2: Yeah, and I think of base camp too. There were agents, and then become uh, a product that it is today. And and do you think that made funding easy? Because like coming from an agency, you didn't need to go and raise money. I don't know if you raise money later. So how how did that help with funding?
0: Yeah, we raised money later, but obviously because we had a revenue of our own, we were able to get to Bonjour to a size where fundraising made sense. So you know, like like initially when we first had it, like we're friends with a, with a few VCs investors, and we kind of showed them what they do. It we're doing, and they're like this is interesting, and we're like cool. We'll uh we'll come back in six months, and then we kind of came back in six months, and we're like here's the numbers now. But obviously we had we had t- we had engineers, we, like we had some some early team members that we could use to, to fund that and build it through, and we can also t- take our time a little bit. You know, we didn't expect it. I'll be honest, we didn't really expect it to kind of go where it went. Um, So, you know, we didn't approach it from a funding first mindset. And yeah, it gave us that, it gave us more time. It also meant that we were just really focused on trying to solve the problem. I think we weren't trying to impress, you know, external sources. We were just trying, we weren't chasing vanity metrics. We solved the problem and then we're like, okay, we like money. Let's make some extra money. Yeah. Like we we, we thought it would be like beer money. And it ends up being <laughs> a lot more than that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> For sure. So I can see how like not having investors early on help you focus on your product, but... I am kind of like in the same shoes. I have a, an agent that's it's a little bit big, over a hundred people and I'm building a product. Uh, but one thing that's a challenge is getting the resources, you know, like, because there's always real client work yeah. and then you're moving the resource to work on your product. Uh, so how did you deal with that problem? So you're not always taking the resources out of the product that you were building.
0: Yeah, so the original version I built with my CTA so just two of us so one engineer and i'm a product guy and i kind of did the design work he built it and then while he was building it i, I went out and started to sell it and have conversations so we took two of us out and i have a, a coo as well who was able to run the other business so we had some on the team who was able to oversee to be fair who was overseeing a lot of that anyway so, so two of us stepped out i think that other agency the product work was at a stage where it was you know we knew what we were doing for the next six months we knew the work we were going through nothing in that was like i like i think needed me to step into my cto specifically yes yeah? so we had a bit of time again you know we, we, we were ahead on our product timeline so we had this time and we said look, we'll we'll, we'll put the maybe maybe conversely to i think how you think about it we, we put the the best people onto the new problem so we took got two best people, put them on because we know we get it done a lot faster that way. And we know that we find out within six months if it was a good thing or not.
2: And because you have systems, well-built systems for the agents that didn't need you guys so much there. And you, got, you went out in with the best people you had to build the product, which was yourself and your CTO.
0: Exactly. And we just took, we just took two of us. we like, that, that's not a massive risk. And you know what? If it doesn't work out, we, we could drop and flip back anytime. I think I think you know, founders, you tend to be quite good at context switching. So again, if we're needed... It's not a problem, but you know, we kind of just locked ourselves in a room for a few months. Um, look, it, look, it, it is hard. The team will question it. So you need to be open with the team about why you're doing it. You know, lucky for us, it proved that correct. So we're like, see, we told you. <laughs> I mean, if that doesn't work out, then that's your balance, yeah?
2: Yeah, that's awesome. And, and so let's talk a little bit about founder. Like you say, hey, as a founder, we can change contact context very quickly so why do you think like you were the right founder for for this product
0: look i think this is a comms platform it's all about taking time with customers investing in customers like i love humans like i'm a product person so i love products i love building products so obviously software kind of makes makes a lot of sense there um, but then I lo- like i love people i love connecting with customers i love connecting with people um so i was doing it and living and breathing it every day in the agency anyway yeah, I think because it's that it was our problem, and not just mine. It was you know, the the team's problem. Um, I think I think you've lived and feel the problem close to heart. So when you get a solution, you kind of understand really like what it is you're solving. It's really nice to be able to do that, and you'll see. Look, I think I think I think a lot of the most successful startups you see come from people who who have a problem in a specific industry and a lot of good startups are actually like older founders who are industry experts and and they they're like five to seven times more likely to succeed because they know exactly what it is they're solving versus saying here's a hypothetical issue or here's a problem that I don't necessarily have like that that course I think the the main reason we 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 solved with like we, we were the ones to do it is because we were living that problem every day and we were actually pretty good at like getting around it I and mean, this just made made it even better so right and then part of the timing as
2: well. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Like, I think the key words here, it's industry expert. You are the industry expert. You understand the problem well. You live the product, the problem. And and I agree, most very successful companies, they kind of have the sauce. It's not all the time, but if you look at successful companies, it's a lot different than what we think. It's not like the young person that just thought about a problem. It's someone that actually know the problem wasn't the problem, It's an industry expert, they're a lot more likely to be successful. But that's not what we hear in the media at the time, right?
0: I mean, look, any of your listeners who are over the age of 40, like the most successful founders in the world are between 40 and 55. Yeah. Like by a long way, because you know what it is you're doing. You're going after, and you might not be a previous founder, you might be someone in industry. Yeah. So, and this is a co- obviously across like all businesses, um,
2: it's not 20 year olds.
0: I tried to start coming yeah. up
2: when I, when I was 20, it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, every time like, I meet an industry expert, it do not have to be a, a founder before, but they know the industry very well. And then they tell me, I wanna build a SaaS product for this industry because I have been doing this for 15 years and I really understand the problem. I'm like, you're gonna be successful. I'm sure you're gonna be successful. Like your likelihood of success just really increase. Yeah, And so you build the product, uh, now, how did you get your first few customers, like your first 10 customers, your first 100 customers? How, how do you go about that?
0: Yeah, it's so just actually in person, pretty much. So this is pre, pre-COVID, the world was open. So we, we were going to events. I was going to events, I was seeing clients, um, and I was asking everyone if they'd use this. So like, so we would, and we hit up every industry. So again, like, I think the best way to start is, you know that you have the problem, you know that others like you have the problem. The question is where else will the problem exist? So with us, you know, we went to charities, we went to um, enterprise, we went to agencies, we went to SMBs, we went to like educators and e-commerce, which was a small industry at the time. And so we actually went out and tried everyone, tried like like a sample set. We probably spoke to 50 people. Um, and of those, we probably got half on board. Um, that's how we started and seeded it, um, those initial customers. I think from that point on, So we're quite lucky in that we have a product that has a viral coefficient built in. So people are sending video messages. When their customers receive those, they go and look how it's done and they often come into our funnel. So the reality is once we'd seeded, the product started to kind of grow the life of its own in those early days. And so I think a lot of our early customers just started kind of of filtering through this year. And we had a couple of influential early customers, who do met in person? who happened to be like micro-influencers in their space. You know, so you had like, like loads of mortgage brokers come in because we had someone in the mortgage-breaking space. We had like loads of, other, loads of people in like, in the education space. So those early days, and this is part luck as well. I think we happened to get some good customers on early. Um, it was done through hard work, but some of those are really, really good for us and really accelerates our early growth. But again, we could have picked 50 other customers. Maybe that wouldn't have happened.
2: Makes sense. So, so you met this person, those people in person at events. So basically, you're like, there's an event for this industry. I'm going to go to the event and I'm going to show up and I'm going to show my product. Or how did it go?
0: Honestly, like, the most random thing because we were building this for six months so we, we put a fair amount of time over those six months anything yeah like we had vc events we went to startup events other random things it, well all of it was stuff that we were going to anyway we'd also get agencies and ask them about it we'd ask if any of their clients wanted it you know so we had meetings too and we generally did all this in australia because you know, the product team was on the ground in australia versus like all our clients overseas but if, if i did a trip to london i'd be asking every agency at the end oh by the way we have this new product and quite often the agency wouldn't use it, but they go, I have a friend who would love this. Give me the give me the website. And so you literally get these like one by one by one over six months. And then you just start to seed it back. And this is back again. If you have a product led growth company, you just have to seed it well. The seeding is everything. Um versus like continuing selling off that. Um look, in person, it's great because you get feedback. You show people the product
2: and they go, This is good, this isn't good. And you go, Cool, we'll go and change that. And you have a kind of a product that's kind of worked very well for product led growth, like you say, because people start using and then they are seeing, okay, how this was done. Yeah. Oh, this video was made by Bonjoro. And then they they go and find your tool, kind of like MailChimp, Calendly, all those tools, they're kind of like have a, a product led built in. So did you start to leverage that as you start growing or or, or you kept like sales led for a little bit? No, look, we, did that, we did
0: that over time. I don't think we realized what we had, again, like a lot of this is in hindsight. You look back and the go, that's how it worked. At the time, we were just like, oh, this is a bit of, because again, it was always a side project you know, that potentially had legs. Um, we still did sales led for quite a while because I think trying to understand really where that problem was, like we need to talk to customers. We need to talk to people to understand really like like the greater problem and what we're solving. I don't think you could do that if you just build a, in a shut room. So we really try to understand that. That's probably like a lot of our early conversations we're about building the product too. So we can't combine them both together. Um, when that final starts to take off and when it was clear that product-led growth was a key part of what we did, then we doubled down and started to really look at that um, over time. But for a long time, we still, you know, every opportunity we would be out there. I don't think we do it so much anymore. I mean, we do, but not so much in person. And and th- and, th- and this is also part of the world, like, also COVID and the world changing has been part of that. and. Again, once again, like the agency, all of our customer base is not in Australia. So, you know, we're dictated a little bit by that as well.
2: Got it, so so I like what you said about like, it's great to be getting the feedback and it's hard to get the feedback when you're in the room. So would you go as far as saying that maybe people become product-led too early uh, when they should be still talking to customers or or not? Like, so what's your?
0: I mean, look, look, a a lot of companies, aren't, aren't product led because they don't have a mechanism for it. So I think if you have a company that can have that mechanism. So again, in hindsight, now, I think it's actually extremely important. If you have a mechanism that that, that can do that, I actually do think you should leverage it early on. I still, yes, look, I, I still think you should go and talk to customers. And to be fair, I think a lot of startups actually do do this. I mean, this is something that's not done because you have to build something, Um but I, like I wish we I wish we'd clicked how bigger a, a funnel and how big a lever lead piece was earlier so that we could double down on on the micro improvements to make that that, that go better yeah? you know in hindsight so although the startup was great there comes a point when we should have switched over probably a little bit earlier um, so it, it depends on your company. Some companies have to be sales-led from day one to day, to, to, you know, day, day 5,000. Know, like you you're, you're a sales-driven organization. Some are marketing-led, some are ads-led, some are product-led. It, you know, it's one growth channel. It's not necessarily the one that's going to be for you.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think so many times we look like what's working for X and I think it's going to work for us, but it's like each, each business is different so what's kind of like your biggest fear like we don't talk so much about fear as founders like when you're starting this this product and and, and building this i mean
0: the biggest fear for every is going to be running out of money <laughs> when you first start because then you know i say because then you, you do like we did a bit of fundraising and then you start hiring a team ahead of your of your cash rates so you then got catch up to do now obviously you're confident in what you're doing but you know there's a there's an end date to your to to cash balance so you've got to get to a certain number before you hit that. So it's it's always it's always the race. I think initially around running out of money. As you grow and mature, that those fears change. I think you then have, you know, staying. You have the market competition. You have macro, climate changes like we've seen in the last kind of four years. It's been a it's been a wild ride, like COVID, Ukraine, like recession. You got, you, you see that come into play. But in the in the early days, honestly, like you're gonna meet you're to meet. Um, You have to make pay for your team. That's not one thing.
2: (laughs) I hope I can make pay roll. Yeah, that's the. (laughs) But you've been there. You know this, yeah. Been there for sure. So, and what was your biggest challenge to date? I think probably the biggest challenge.
0: Everything I'm saying here is in hindsight, and I don't think I knew it at the time. But I think team. I think pretty much everything else comes down to team. So I think you need to make sure like you have the right hires because they will make or break the company. Um, I think we've made some wrong hires historically. And it's interesting. You have two types of wrong hires. Ones are obviously wrong and maybe a little bit slow to kind of read them on. There's other hires that are not obviously wrong where actually they are pretty good, but not great. Um, and that's hard because they're not doing badly, but they're not, crushing it yeah and so which was potentially can be very harmful for business yeah and i think this is probably just a big lesson that like i think every founder has to go through and i think if you can nail that and you get your hiring correct and you write people you need a lot less people in the company than you think your output per person is much higher um you know it's not necessarily more expensive because you might have fewer more expensive people potentially Incentivizations um, incentivization is a big part of this and then culture um, and then as your your team starts to grow you're more likely to make mistakes. I think in the early days, it's probably easier because you're all super enthused and you start together and you have your fan team. As you grow and you start to hire, and the faster you grow, there's probably more room for error, I think.
2: How did you fix it when you figure out, okay, that was a wrong hire? Because especially if the person's doing good, but not great, how did you go about fixing that problem?
0: Look, I wish I had all the answers. Um, I think think that, that you have to move people on. If they're not right, and it's not like, the other thing is like, it's not necessarily always the person. Sometimes it's the role. Yeah. So you go, right, we're going to go for this channel. Let's just say you decide to go for ads and let's say you decide to hire somebody on PPC, like to, to run that and then ads don't work for you, but that person's really good, but it just turns out your business won't, won't grow, you know, in a profitable way like that way yeah the payout period is too long or there's too much competition yeah that person you might have to let go it's not necessarily their fault it might be the strategy was wrong as well regardless that person you need to actually act sooner rather than later and read them on and you need to be very transparent with them i think around this as well um you know and, and then there's obviously best ways to let people go and you know, help them find roles do everything you can because it's your fault really because you hired that person like, this is what I, I like if you've made if you made a call to hire someone hire it I, and not necessarily you, but your team under you who hire people. They hire someone, but they need to know that if that doesn't work out, it's their job also to let that person go. Which makes them really think, do you really want to hire this person? Yeah, because because it's not a good thing to do. Um, you've got to do right by anyone you take on board. Um and anyone who hasn't done that before is <laughs> like honestly, everyone has to make this mistake. Everyone has to let someone go as they as immature mature into and move to new roles, not just the founding team, but your managers. Um, it's good if this happens earlier rather than later. And it's good, you know, so, so you don't make more expensive mistakes or, you know, you, it doesn't repeat itself.
2: Yeah, for sure. It, it definitely it, it builds the, the team maturity. I remember that happening like with a manager just recently. They hired someone and then was like, You hired. Now you have to let them go. And then they're like, ruin ruined my day. Can I go home early? I'm like, Yes. Yeah. But like the next time that they hire someone, they, they're really thinking about, I, I don't ever want to have to let the person go. So I think it's a growing thing yeah. that you, you as founders are gonna go through, but like the more people in your team that grows and learn that the better it's gonna be for your company. It's hard. It's really hard. It's very, very hard. So at, at what point you knew you have a product that people love, like people really like your product. When did you know that?
0: I do remember one thing where the penny dropped, where we have a, we have a large influence. There's a guy called Pat Flynn, who's a big influencer in the SME space. Um, and then one day we're just in the office and all these signups start coming in and all this stuff starts happening on, on social. I'm like, what's happening? I was like, oh, this guy's on stage talking talking about you. as a massive event. We're like, who's this guy What's this event? And then and suddenly you realize, and then, and then it happened again like next month with someone else and we're like, oh, this is kind of like out of our hands. Like, we don't know what's going on, yeah? And you suddenly start to see this growth coming in that you can't explain, and you definitely have not done anything to get it. Like, we didn't deserve that. It was again, luck, whatever, Yeah. So you see that happening. And that's, I think you had this point with the business when it starts to get out of your hands and that's really exciting and also quite scary. Cause you're like, is this us or is this luck or is this type? Like, it, it, and then suddenly you realize that, 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 this, that this business is a, uh, has its own momentum it and it's it, its own thing. It's no longer something that is growing solely by your, by your sweat, blood and tears. Um, I think that's, that's the point when all of us were like, Oh wow, this is a thing
2: that's amazing i can just imagine you guys at the office and now the signups are coming like yeah. who did that and it was just very organic and did at that point you knew the business would last or it would like still like didn't know yet if the business would last you never
0: know, you never know will it last today i mean i mean x did no x one. like 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 things failure yeah? i don't think we think in terms of will, it will last i think we think in terms of can we can we get to our end vision yeah, and there's certain like, and we think we can, but we also know there's a lot of there's a lot of other other variables. Yeah, like competition, markets, and funding. You know, to get there, yeah. Um, do we have what it does to get there in a certain time period? You know, I think that's kind of how we think about it. Yeah. So, carrying it's to the vision, can the business last as it is? Yeah, potentially, but would that excite us? If the business just stayed as it was forever, making it, like it wouldn't excite us. Like, it's got to get bigger and bigger. It's got to challenge us more and more. I think the day that we get bored is when we stop being challenged so that for us is actually the driver versus like whether the business will last as such like none of us are interested in in running a business that makes you know five million a year every year for life and doesn't go anywhere else you know
2: yeah basically you don't want to plateau you want to keep growing and keep solving problems exactly and so share a little bit about the vision because you say i want to realize the vision so what's that vision could you share a little bit
0: yeah, so it's, so like so what, so, what we're looking at really is like we think we think the idea of loyalty is is, is wrong, um, in the online space, yeah, and underserved. I think when when people mention loyalty, people always think about loyalty cards, you know, discounts and that kind of thing, yeah. Um, whereas loyalty really is the ability to to a like increase the lifetime value of customers through non non product like pieces, which can involve communication. It can it can involve reward schemes, yes, but there's, there's much more to it. Um, and then also to obviously like generate um, advocacy, which in turn leads to net new customers because the more that your customers talk about you and rave about you, the more new customers they will bring in. So it comes to growth channels as well, yeah? So if you nail loyalty, you increase the lifetime value of every customer. So every customer spends more and stays longer. And then you increase the, the like base your customers as its own growth channel, so they start referring in other customers. Now, most most companies don't do this very well. I think I think larger customers can be more passive. So if you're if you're you know Delta Airlines, you can have a loyalty program, and people will sign up because they want to save money. If you're a little startup, no one's ever heard of you. No one's going to talk about you. No one's going to you know like so so you have to basically take a much more active role, and this involves things like obviously stepping in with the video and saying, hey, Dave, I saw you signed up. Do you want to check in see if you need need any help? That's a great starting point, yeah? That's the video messaging is a good point. But then what happens for the next six months of Dave's journey? You know, like what other things do you do? How else do you make his journey, like, as engaged and as delightful as possible? How do you bring your team to the forefront, you know, to make him into a more... Like how do you turn him from a passive customer into a very active and loyal customer? And he goes, you know what? I love these guys. I'm, I'm staying... You know, I'm staying forever. Then once you solve that, how do you then get Dave? how do you go to Dave and say, Hey, you're a great customer. Can you go and tell hundred people about us? And Dave goes, sure I will, but then never actually does it. How do you make Dave go and drive you more customers in? Yeah. And so this is other side. So we just launched a product, um, which is basically like in the video space, but it's around collecting video testimonials off customers. So the idea here is now we have this messaging piece that actually allows you to make customers more loyal by, by taking time with them. And now we have a piece which says, Hey, can you give us some great video testimonials so we can use it on our site to convert more traffic? Now those are like just two starting points, and then we start to build a suite of products that expand both of those those hemispheres. And so like, and again, like rewards, discounting is part of this. Sure, it's not. That's not what loyalty is, though. Yeah, that's that's like one one mechanism. You know, how do you make every customer? How do you how, how do you make any cus- any company becomes like a like a Zappos? How,
2: how do you do that? Yeah. It's pretty hard. So, so, so that's kind of like the problem we're trying to solve. It's funny because I had a, a a similar problem this week, like testimonies are so important. So speaking with this customer, like this potential client, and he's like, look, your customer have big Fortune 500 companies like ADP and Box, but I couldn't find many videos and many testimonials about your company. So now I'm kind of like, I don't know if I, if I can trust you guys because I Google and I couldn't find enough information if you have all those big customers, why you don't have a lot of videos testimonials on our site and there's like four videos and, and he just felt like wasn't enough for our size. And, but that's a problem that's very hard to solve. Like how I'm gonna go and get those videos, how I'm gonna get those people to like yes. be comfortable, you know? And you gotta, you gotta
0: educate as well. Like, like like that client needs to know that like four is not enough. He needs to know that, that, that he needs to go ask for more, yeah. And as fact fair, a lot, a lot of the time these people don't have testimonials. Because they don't ask it's, it's that simple so i i think there's a lot of education here about how to use your customer base better and a lot of people don't do it just because i don't think they understand like it's it's not that hard to be honest yeah but then what you can do is you can prompt a customer and say we, we we could prompt him and say hey this customer's been with you this long they spent this, this much money they're highly engaged now is a great time to go and ask for x and he does that, and it's 80% chance of success because it's because it's timing-based, yeah? But, you, we, we, but you, know, you build a system that says to him, today, contact these two people. Tomorrow, contact these three. And so it's little things to do every day, but you're there to remind them and to make sure it happens, yeah? So I think a lot of this is, like, it does take an active role. You have to actually ask people. Timing is key, when to do it, you know, asking Positive customers rather than negative customers. All all this piece. And again, there's lots of individual tools that can solve bits of these problems that you stitch together. There's not really a platform that solves it all. I don't think. You know, the sales CRM has been done. The marketing CRM has been done. The loyalty piece, like it, it, it's disparate. There's no one owner of that space.
2: That's a great vision. I, I'm excited to see you realize that. So that was a little bit. I think it could be a little bit more of what we have been talking about. But what do you think that? Early stage SaaS founders should start doing that most people don't do, like when they're starting a SaaS product.
0: I mean, again, like I, I don't know if most people don't do this, but I think I think get your hands in the product of customers more and faster. I think, and this is going back really early. I think a lot of people are like, "Oh, I need to make it perfect before I show anyone." I forget that. Just like get it in the hands of people, show it, show them it, demo it. It doesn't matter if it doesn't quite work or if it's not quite there potential customers are very good and they like being part of that process and they'll help you build a better product for your first version. So again, our first version, we put people onto it and look, <laughs> they look disgusting, but it worked for them. And they were like, this is, this is good. It works. But like, this is hard guys. And we were like, cool, we'll go to fix that. And then I think don't ever lose that. Keep, keep doing that. It doesn't matter if you're lassian, you know, or Canva, keep putting your hands and your beaters in the hands of customers as early as possible. Um, don't wait until things are perfect. Have a, have a great group, of, you know, if you get bigger, have a group of beta testers who are there to break everything and be like, hey, guys, here's a new thing. Can you go and break it and tell us what's terrible.
2: And, and that's definitely easier to say than, than done because I have a, a SaaS product right now. And every time I have a new feature to go out, I'm, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this has to go. But I, I'm always afraid of doing it. But once you go and people are like using and they're like, we love it, just fix this and this. Yeah. And it's just super exciting and, and your product keep, keep getting better.
0: It comes to loyalty, yeah? Customers like to be part of that journey, yeah? Yeah. By doing this, you create loyalty because everyone's like, oh, this is amazing. They're showing us, even though it's not ready, but we'll help build them.
2: It's great. Yeah, and now it's something that you help create. Like probably when you see your feedback apply, you're like, okay, that's cool. They really hear me. And then you- you, Exactly. Again, that, that builds loyalty. And what do you think founders should stop doing?
0: I think maybe stop, I mean, look, this is this is not a new one, but I think vanity metrics, like who cares how many like new customers you get or like, like whatever else. Yeah, like what matters is how many active customers do you have a, 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 every month? How many customers are returning and what are they spending if, you, if, you, if you're B2B platform with B2C active users? um, Everything else doesn't matter, yeah, really. Like focus on those. Um, Anything that makes yourself look good on a, on a pitch deck but doesn't actually help the business, forget about it. And smart, smart, smart investors, venture capital will see through those numbers anyway. So I think you you know, there's very few numbers that really matter. Like active usage is key. Revenue ultimately is key, and what that ties to. Um, Focus on those. Everything else, don't worry about it.
2: Yeah, I I like it. I love that. So let's let's touch on brand. We we talked a little bit in the beginning of the podcast. So like, what do you think people? could do better about their brand and building their brand and building the, their, their company. I'm
0: from a design background, so, I'm, so I get it. And I don't think a lot of founders necessarily understand brand that well. I think they think brand is a logo, which isn't. I think brand, brand is basically like the external facing piece of your culture. So yes, obviously there are the visual elements, but it's also how you talk to customers. It's you know what you stand for, what your views are, what your values are, who you're gonna hire, you know because you get people who you look at and this and they're like amazing you're like this person is so smart but if they don't fit your culture don't hire them yeah if they can't speak with your brand voice don't hire them the the, the, the playbook a culture and brands are so entwined like it, it, it's crucial i one of the playbooks here is obviously zappos like wrote a lot about this so so if you're interested in this go read that as an early startup if you can get your brand done well if you can come out looking professional, look like you look professional, you look beautiful. You appeal to your exact audience. Your internal values are aligned. Even when there's like three of you, you're going to grow faster because people will see that and they'll connect with it better. You know, if you approach enterprise and you look like your B two C company, you won't sell to enterprise. And vice versa, if you're going to if you're going to be a, if you're a consumer and you look like you're ready for enterprise, you ain't going to sell to them either. Yeah? Um, exactly the same product, different brands. So. You're, you're messaging everything. I can't stress how important this is. Like in the early days, we did the whole bear thing. We gave bear suits away. We distributed videos. Yeah, that's who we were. And you know what? We didn't we didn't appeal to enterprise, but we appealed to our user base and people talked about it, about us because of it. Um, I think we were kind of a breath of fresh air within that space. So you obviously have to get it right, but just like consider brand. If you don't understand it well enough, go and talk to somebody if you want to hit me up about it. I'm always on LinkedIn, happy to help. Um, but yeah, go
2: out of your way, unpack it, it's important. So, so let's let's dive a little bit deeper into that. So like, I, I love what you say, but what are some of the tactics that you implement in your company together with the strategy? How did you arrive to the bare idea? Like I'm gonna send bare suits to people. So let, let's go a little bit deeper on, on how did, that was done.
0: I mean, it starts of like, like looking, looking at what we're doing in the company. We were looking for something to do something quite fun. Like we're inspired, like love Mailchimp, kind of what they've done. Like, uh, like, other, like Basecamp's done a great job. Um, so we're always looking to build this playful B two B brand. So we knew how to be playful, but but we are a B two B company. So we, you know, we experimented with 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 caricature because we thought that would work well. So again, light melting with done a monkey. We were trying other things, playing around with that. But once we had that, the best stuff all, all came after. That was just like, that was the obvious thing to do because, you know, we were funny and we do funny videos for customers. And we were like this, like business should be a pleasure and you should be able to make customers laugh. And so that all just naturally flowed on from there. And we kind of went deeper and deeper. And, and the way we spoke to customers, the way we behaved with them where we had fun is the exact same way that we would behave internally. So with our, with our team, and, and we wouldn't hire anyone who didn't really have a sense of humor. So for us, the way we speak externally and internally doesn't change, which also makes life a lot easier for us. Um, so then we start to think about values, what it is we really care about. It is important to write those down. They will change as you grow. It's not about sitting in a room and making up values that you think matter. If you, know, if you the value is you know team before customers, like you mean that, like put it down, yeah? Like that's fine. You don't necessarily have to show everyone these values. You know if your if your value is the customers never never write but that really works for you then like that's cool yeah like like, like be honest to yourself when you get down a few values and there's no specific number you can have one or you can have ten um when you have those written down when you start to write your comms and write on your website and design that it'll basically have to reflect those values you know the way the way that you process refunds the way that you hire, like it, it all comes from that and then refine those over time but like do it earlier than later. Don't wait until you're 20 people and go, oh, we'll just hire a design consultancy because if someone else does it, it ain't you doing it. As founders, you have to be the voice in the early days.
2: That makes sense. So, so like you think like what really made the difference is think about those those values from the beginning, hiring all those values and act upon those values. Yeah. Right? So we're going to act based on this. We're going to hire based on this. So really, we're going to be, we're going to direct our company based on our values and, and I think... Again, kind of like we learn in the Zappos book. That that's such a great book. Uh, I think everyone should should read that book. Uh, but but that's an amazing amazing kind of like suggestions for people and, and advice. Like live with the values. I I I myself didn't understand like how powerful culture is. And then we get to a thirty people organization and they're like. Everyone is doing something different. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going on? (laughs) (laughs) And then I had, and then it was funny because I remember I was reading a book and then I skipped the chapter on culture. I skipped the chapter on culture. And now the company has 30 people and I'm like, have to go and work that later on and develop those values. And you would never get to a hundred people and everyone works kind of like, in the same manner if we don't implement a strong culture based on like our, our core values. I think that's the only way you can scale. And, and, it, and I agree, it should be fo- based on the f- founder's values. You, sh- you can't hire, you can't outsource that to anyone else uh, or their company's not gonna scale. And what is kind of like a, a, an advice that you heard in SaaS that you disagree with? You're like, no, I wouldn't do that. I, I think that's not a great advice. I mean, I've done that. So I've done this, but I think I think, fund, I think fundraising is probably one of them. I know a lot of
0: very successful bootstrap founders now these days. Yeah, now the caveat being, quite a few of these did, did start out of other companies, so out of agencies or out of personal net wealth. Like sometimes, yeah, um, sometimes they start side projects. We'll keep, keep on their day jobs for a while, but it's interesting. Despite the competition in the market, despite the fact that most companies are like funded, you know, in the States, they're funded massively, you don't have to fundraise to have a successful company, you know, and probably 90% of the companies in the world are not are not, are not through funding, maybe may higher. Like outside of software, most agencies are not funded. They start with someone doing some work on the side and off they go, yeah. Um, again, it is hard. And this is not to say you shouldn't fundraise, but I think you don't have to fundraise. is the point I'm trying to make and look to companies. So it's some good, good companies like ConvertKit, Design Pickle, I mean, like back in the day MailChimp, um, campaign monitor. Yeah. These companies are all built without fundraising. Um, and they've done extremely well because they've had to. One thing it will do is make you raise a sharp focus on your product. Um, because if you don't make money, you can't, you can't, I mean, you can't build it yeah? It's that simple. So you can't, you can't overlook mistakes. Now, so some of these companies then raise funds at a later date. Yeah. I think I think Monitors like first fundraising was sixty million dollars. That was the first ever fundraising. Um we obviously had a company by then and it was specifically to go and put in, into growth into a growth lever. Um so I think just consider that when you start. obviously definitely don't rule it out, but there's there's more than one way to grow a company and you don't have to start on that route. You might go a bit slower. It's not always a bad thing.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. Like that's kind of like exactly how I'm trying to build my SaaS. I'm like, I don't, I don't need to to raise fund right now because I have an agency and I can sell fund. But also, I think the definition of success change, right? So if I build the SaaS and that's making 10 million dollars in revenue, I'm I'm happy. That's success yeah. for me. Yeah. If I raise money and I'm making 10 million dollars in revenue, my investor is gonna be like, what's going on? Why this doesn't make any money? <laughs> why is not a billion? <laughs> <laughs> you know, why is this tiny company not making? making any money. So I think also um, that changes. So like when you're building a business, it's very hard to know early on how big that business is gonna be. And I see a lot of business kind of like, even because we work a lot of funded companies, they're doing very well, but their investors Mm -hmm. are not happy because they're like, why are you making money? You don't supposed to be making money. You're supposed to be losing money and trying to grow, grow, grow.
0: (laughs) Understand very clearly how funds get their return. You need to understand the mechanism before you ever get on the route. Understand that if it's one hundred, if it's 10 companies in the fund, one to two of those have to make it, but they have to make it to a billion dollars to get the IRR. And the rest of you can fail. So you have to take every leap to get to a billion dollars, you know? Um, and if that means that you might fail, that's great. Cool. But if you own 100% of the company and you sell for $10 million, you know, have a party. That's a good... <laughs> for some people, that's fine.
2: Yes, for sure. And then also you don't have to, you're, you wouldn't be forced to run your company to the wow, because right? you, you have employees, you have people that don't want to do a layoff. So like it if, if, depends on your personality. If you are the out in personality, I think raising money makes a lot of sense. But if you want to make sure things are a little bit more stable and you don't have to, to make harsh calls. But again, I think there's, there's a place to raise money. There's a place to not raise money. Yeah. But the advice that you're giving here is like, you don't have to always raise money. Look at what you're trying to do. Consider all the options and look at other people, look at
0: people who've done both both ways. And there's obviously, there's other, and there's other mechanisms to your business, yeah? Like, there's, yeah, there's many other models. Look, look at all the models. You know, there's, there's more than one option.
2: Yeah, so let's say you could go back in time, Matt, and meet, meet yourself from 2017. Yep. And you have about one minute to give yourself an advice. What would you do? So you, you have a minute in 2017 with yourself.
0: What do one, you tell
2: yourself with that? One minute.
0: Yeah, probably put off fundraising longer. Put off fundraising longer. Don't hire this guy, but hire these three. <laughs> and go faster. So like, I think mean, go faster, yeah? So um, I think we didn't realize what what, what we, so we, we sat on what, on what we had for probably 12 months. I think we should just like, again, but. Yeah, on day one we should have just gone 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 hard i think we probably wasted a year there you know with it and that's because we had two companies yeah so like the issue there is that you have your focus is 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 diverted but hey i don't think i could have i'm not sure if i believe myself that's the problem here i tell myself (laughs) and i'm like what do you know old
2: man i'm gonna do it my way (laughs) I don't think I could confess myself in one minute. Uh, I'll do a little I'm bit longer. Sure. I'm not sure. Fuck it. <laughs> That's funny because I always like have the scenario and then my wife says the same thing. If you go back and tell yourself from five years ago, yourself from five years ago, wouldn't listen to yourself. Nah, nah, you know, like, nah. I'm like, no, what who, who do you know? I'm in charge. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so what book do you recommend for like SaaS founders? What is like one book that you read that you like? you think made a big difference on how you run your business and what you are today?
0: Look, so I'll start, like the one that I've I've reread recently, given the fact we talk about culture so much, go and read uh, Netflix, No Rules Rules. So it's written by Reed Hastings and um, an HR consultant. They talk about the culture of Netflix. Um, it's super interesting, like super interesting, yeah? Like how they've gone through their hiring process and how they build their team and build things on like talent density. Um, really, really interesting. It's pro- it's not applicable when you're three people. It is applicable as you get bigger. Um, read it. It's awesome. It will change your views on culture and the importance of it.
2: Yeah. I, I remember reading that book. And then she says like, look, the, the team that took you from maybe 10 to 50 million might not be the team that's going to take you to 50 to 100. And you have to make peace with that. You have to make peace that the team that got you from A to B is not going to get you to the next step and Maybe they love the culture, like scrappy culture startup, and now you know different different people, and, and it's just so hard because you really going back to loyalty, you be loyal to to those people, uh, but yeah, that's such an amazing book. I I, I love that book too. Maybe I should re- read it again. Read it every year
0: as you grow. Oh
2: yeah, yeah. I think like I read the book twice. And the first time I read, I was like, I don't agree with like. 80% what she's saying. And then I, I read it again and they're like, oh, yeah, she was right. This <laughs> is so, <laughs> so this and this. Exactly. And this. Yeah. Because it's just, it's it's hard truths that she's, she's telling you in that book. 100%. Yeah. So what are you excited about uh, and motivated by uh, in these in this days, the business in your personal life too?
0: Yeah, I think, so I say, look, I think with the business, we're going beyond the first product. So we've launched second product which is kind of really like like our stampings the loyalty space. So I think, I'm excited, I'm also nervous. I think, I think, it's, I think it's a big goal to go for. Um, it's a different business that we'll end up with. You know, we've got kind of five years to do it. Um, so it's like, you know, you get to the stage, you take a rest, and then you have to go, like you have to really go again. So I think this is like massive for us. Um, but that's what excites like me. Um, you know, personally, it's a, it's a case of how do you, how do you balance that with children? You know like we like i have like like right now in the uk i have family here are based in australia you know and we're looking at how do we spend a bit more time here so how do we live a life between two countries a little bit better um also exciting you know and our customers are all around the world so a uh, lot of opportunity with that um but uh, like someone said something to me recently which is you know um another founder who runs a much bigger bigger company that he believes in like always taking things one year at a time I think it's actually really good advice. I think you can plan well for the next twelve months. I think I think almost like stop there because as we've learned, as I'm sure you've learned, every 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 plan we do in January, we get to next January and we're like, well, that worked for six months, and then we went and then we went to something completely completely, completely different. Yeah. So I think I think this idea of living, you know, and planning ahead of you at a time is actually pretty wonderful. Um, and beyond that, just be honest with yourself that it's, there's a lot of assumptions there. And potentially, because of that, you make better decisions in the here and now.
2: Yeah, and, and, and exactly. In twelve months, you're a different person. Yeah, and you're you ready to to plan again the next twelve months. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that that's a great advice. And yeah, congrats on on your success on your product. Thank you very much for being on the show today. I think this was a great to learn more about how everything started and and where things are going. Thank you, Matt. No problem. No problem, Phil. Thanks for having me.
1: SaaS Origin Stories is brought to you by Dev Squad. To find out more about how we help entrepreneurs launch new products and help larger businesses plug in a ready-to-go development team, visit devsquad.com. Add us to your rotation by searching for SAS Origin Stories in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click follow so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening and remember, every SAS hero has an origin story.